flop the nut straight, Teddy. See, here's the thing. If you can't spot the sucker the first hour at the table, then you are the sucker. People like Doyle Brunson consider No Limit Poker the Cadillac of poker. The last pure game there is. Some people, pros even, won't play. They can't handle the swings. A good player can get a great hand crack, go on tilt, and lose all his mind. One thing I've learned though, if you're too careful, your whole life could be a fing grind. So you're not even gonna give me a story about why you couldn't be to the podcast on time? I was entertaining work. So you were nowhere near a gambling table. What they no. No. Alright. And that was the f-ing intro. Normally it's me opening something to drink and putting it in my mouth, but today it is David. And with that being said, welcome to another episode again of That's the F-ing Trailer. Guess what we have for you today, David? Tell them. We are covering rounders, and I am terrified. This was your pick, so where did it come from? Uh, let's go ahead and just jump right into this thing. I want to say the year was 2000, and I think 11 or 12, and I was a big sports fanatic, and I used to go to sleep watching sports every night. And so uh, one night, I was like, what is that sound? It's some westerny sound that kept coming on TV, and it was on ESPN. I'm like, is it bull racing? Is it cows? Well, I mean, what's what's getting ready to happen? Is it Pee Wee's Playhouse, the farm one? Um, but what wound up happening was it was poker, and I was like, I had no interest in poker whatsoever. Like, I'm a, I love to wager every now and then, but I had no interest in poker whatsoever. The thing that was a, like a almost like just eek, eeking at me, eeking at me, eeking at me was why the hell is a card game on ESPN have they sunk that low to now recovering cards on ESPN like who's not buying these spots and so at first I just dismissed it as like a little promo and the further and further it went they start showing more and more of it and I was just like oh my gosh and what really got me into it was not necessarily the card game it was the banter it was the, they found a way to bring the fan in ESPN did something I had never really seen before it was like real time you were able to see what the actual player had and so you became it's like imagining if you're in a Fortnite group or, or a fraternity or whatever all you people are at a table and there's somebody it's like 10 people at a table and there's one representation of you at that table and you get to see how this person thinks and what they do and you get to see the numbers and and the most beautiful part about this when I finally realized why they put this on ESPN and what made me delve into it I say oh man I love this game for one. It's not even a game. I love this sport for one reason and one reason alone. It's how they say chess is chess versus checkers. How chess is a thinking man's game. For me, poker was the first time I can say no matter what two cards I'm dealt, I can still be a winner. 
There was no rules to say because your cars were better than mine that you would win. Yeah. It became a game of, oh, I must outact you, outperform you, mentally defeat you and make you a mental militant. You're no longer, you're nothing to me. So I never do it, have done it for the money. It's always been about that mental assassination of you letting you know there was nothing you could do to me. When I play uh, Go Fish with my daughter, it's very similar circumstances. They have seven cards. There's, some, there's a whole bunch of possibilities in the lake. It's, I know exactly where you're coming from. And by exactly where I'm coming from, he means no idea. So for my poker aficionados, this is this is what we're going to do, man. Hey, listen. Hey, why don't you buckle up, big boy? Before you get, uh, before you jump into the elevator pitch about the movie and we move on from Hello Internets, just want to give everybody a quick reminder to subscribe, like, share, all that shit. I mean, you sure. like, share? What about Sonny? Oh, I get what you meant. Let's say like, and they should share. I see what you did there. I, uh, yeah, you almost lost me. And you're, I'm going to be lost so much in this episode. I have not. I saw I saw Rounders back in like 1999, 2000 for the first time. Um, and the next time I watched it was this this weekend. And you have been trying to get me to play poker for the entirety of us uh, being friends. Yes. And um, I refused to. Yeah. So I was lost when I saw this movie. I love the performances. I love it. I love Matt Damon. I love Edward Norton. Of course, John Malkovich, uh, John Totoro. But I was lost. I, okay. I needed a, I needed translation. Um, but before we get into the movie, elevator pitch. For, for people out there that have not seen the movie, what is Rounders about? Rounders is a film about life. It's one of those films that I always I talk about that actually transcends more than what it's about. We've mentioned how I felt like Black Panther, while it was a part of a series of films, it could have been a standalone film. To me, it was not. It's almost not even just Black Panther. When I went back and we were talking about also with Christopher Nolan, how he was the first person to really bring that genre. It's not like a Marvel film. It was a film about a superhero, but more so about the person that became the superhero. So mm -hmm. for to me, watching Rounders and seeing it, the absorbent amount of times that I've seen it to me what makes this movie watchable and makes it an instant classic is the fact that they were able to blend something you don't have to know about poker for this to be a good film and you're a true testament to that and that's why I advise you I say listen imagine you like this film not knowing about poker imagine if you learned about it and then rewatching it it's like watching something and having an opioid experience having something below your entire mind so to tell them what Rounders is about Rounders follows uh, Mike McD uh, Mike McDermott played by of course Matt Damon. Matt Damon, yes. Matt Damon uh, coming off the Goodwill hunting high, everything that was going on around that time. How do you like what, them apples? Love it. He is, when we first meet him, we know that he, we, we find out how intelligent he is. They do very good character development and we, we meet him and, and he takes a big loss. I won't tell, I mean, spoiler alert, it's only what, since 1998, whatever. Um, but essentially, he takes a loss and we find out he takes a couple of losses throughout the film, but he runs into his best friend who was just recently released from jail. We'll talk about who's Worm. So Worm and of course Mike McDee Golding is adventurous throughout the film but at a certain point life decisions have to be made and that's why I say that I resonated with this film so much and it really shows what a true if you are a professional gambler or wager it shows that there's more to just, just the money you have bills to pay you have people looking for you you like like your whole I'll put it this way the reason why people should watch this film and it's why my elevator pitch because just like that just like life you're always going to have to gamble regardless whether you want to or not, if you're going to get somewhere. And this is one of your top 
what would you say top 10 i'm too close to the subject to give it a decent um but if i had to just based off of me i wouldn't say top 10 films of all time never would say that i would say it's in my top 50 if i'm just being completely honest it's in my top 50 because again I, i'm just i love film too much just to throw this up there because it's a, it, it features poker but i will say this it's like as far as star power man get out of here man like for mm -hmm. people to like for everybody to and i mean everyone involved to those names you name to have to tone down their performance for the art form for itself to speak is insatiable. I have one, uh, I have one, qu I'm going to have a lot of questions for you, but I have one specific question I want to get into before we start talking during the movie. Um, who do you, who do you identify with the most as far as character, how they approach the game, all that between Kanish, KGB, Worm, uh, Mike. I'm so glad you asked me that. I identify more with any uh condition. I thought so. Okay. That's that's a that's a healthy place to be if you're going to be Right, because if you Mike. notice he says, You fing punk, I don't I don't play for the fing thrill of winning the World Series of Poker. I have alimony, I owe rent, I got child like I, I owe child support. My kids eat. Mm -hmm. To him he's what they call a grinder and that's why sometimes I try to explain it to you, you're like you're a gambler, you this and I'm like, Well no. I'm a grinder. Like, I'm not here to try to win a billion dollars. I'm here to take a little, like, I know I don't want to be known. You, like, when you're, like, when you are a fly under the radar, you collect as much as you can and you get away. You don't get out there just to try to win it all. So, yeah, I would say uh, Joey Kanish, the street legend. And he's going to be talk popping up a picture of the real Joey Kanish right about now. I would have, I, I would have taken you for a mic. Thank you. That's from I, that a mental was standpoint. not a compliment, and we'll get to that. Let's talk. It felt like one. All right, so uh, what are we going to? Oh, our talking points. They cut down my funding. <laughs> All right, talking during the movie. Let's discuss rounders. Um, I, I will just, before we, uh, this isn't necessarily about the movie. This is just more so of when I watched it last night, it took me back because, like I said, I hadn't seen it since 1999, 2000. So I put this on. And it was such a simpler time. It, it brought me back to 1999. This is... I watched this for the first time at, at Ian Wallizer's house. Uh, with a with a big salad. There were... This is like... I, 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 when I... Seinfeld reference? Nah, that's just a reference. Oh. True, true to my past. Wallizer's had the best salads. But, so... Um, as I'm watching it the whole time, all I wanted to do was play... Uh, GoldenEye or Mario Kart on Nintendo 64 because it was just a sign of the times, man. It brought me back. So it's very nice. nostalgia. Yeah, very nostalgia. Mode. Trip down memory lane. Definitely trip down memory. One of the things that uh, is that uh, that I would just spoke about here. Um, one of the th one of the talking points of the film is that like I I love the fact that what this film did a very good job of doing was fleshing out all the characters that they really dove into and they don't wait to do it it's not like you get piece spoon fed throughout the film mm -hmm. right they spend at least to me three to four minutes of, of bringing in these characters traits so at first we meet mike mcd um he stars in, uh, and it's, it starts with a voiceover of course but it's showing you like he keeps his money hidden in different parts of his apartment, which means he's obviously been robbed before in New York. That's number one. But yeah. number two, he shows that that's also how he plays poker. You can't, if you get this money, you can't get that money. You notice later on in the movie, he says, I can't lose what I don't put in the middle. That's what he's thinking. If I put all my money in one safe, it only takes one incident. My 
on. Yeah. All right. So that's one of the first things you notice. And also not just where he's hiding his money. They go across a couple of different books that he owns. So that also shows you he's still diversifying with his intelligence. I'm not going to learn just from one person. I'm going to learn from the top people at their craft and make my own style. So that's one of the future, one of the first talking points I see, the character development with Mike. Um, I definitely agree with what you're saying about it being like a slow burn, uh, it taking its time. That's one of the things that I really liked about the movie is that it takes its sweet time while still being entertaining, but the first hour of the movie is setting up a crazy last hour of the movie that, like, all of these uh, dominoes are lined up to fall down in the last hour. And, um, you know, the 15 large in five days, Mike trying... Mike, so 15 large means 15,000. <laughs> I, I got that much. I understand I, I, money terms. I, I, I don't know about the when they start pulling out the cards. But it's, it was also, you know, Mike gets, Mike, you, in the first hour, you see Mike, Mike trying, it, it sets him up as somebody that's trying to get out of everything. And at the same time, Worm's getting out of prison and wants him to get back in. And you just know that the shit's going to hit the fan when Mike's girl leaves because they set her up perfectly as being that character that's grounded Mike in this new, in this, normal reality and uh <laughs> i'll get to her i'm not, i'm just saying like so when they set her up in a way like as you as a viewer you knew that when she was out the door all hell's about the very loose because mike is now who was left. the most excited when she went out the door oh word because <laughs> now it's like okay so you went from being in uh, under her supervision now you're under worm supervision what do you say man this is just like they say man in the game of poker women are the Rake. Rake. Like, who says that? What's saying? <laughs> it's the ingredients for such a great story when you set things up where the lead character has nothing to lose and everything to lose all at the same time. Like he's like, fuck it all in. Um so that that I loved. Uh Okay. One of the one of the other things that um that I that I like they talked about and that, that this film basically shows you um is that they don't just while it is a film that revolves around poker still is a standalone film they show you the different games of poker throughout the film they're playing they're playing omaha high and low they're playing chicago they're playing limp high limit stakes at and um and when they go to to, to new york city when they go to, to atlantic city i'm sorry once they go there but one of the things that he says at the beginning of the film which i resonate with so much is that uh, Doyle Brunson, one of the four, four founding forefathers with Amaretto Slim and, and guys of that nature, Doyle Brunson considers uh, No Limit Poker the Cadillac of poker. And, and see, here's the thing. I, I, know, I only play No Limit Poker. I started out playing Limit and... What is No Limit Poker? Uh, is, it, is it exactly as it sounds? That... It, it's like... Raw sex and road rash meeting each other. I still, I have, uh, if I were to sit down at a poker game right now, I would still have no idea. What okay, so so to the, to the people out there, what it is like? No, okay, so essentially, limit poker is exactly what it sounds. There's a limit to how much you can bet. You can bet this amount. You know that hey, I can only lose this amount of money. There's been a limit self set. I like to ride, but I love my seatbelt. Like one of those things. And so, so if you have a problem with with 
excess, you might not want to get into a no limit game if you are the kind of person yeah, if you're that doesn't not, know when to stop. Yeah, and that's a, that's the thing about it. And see, that's the difference between what they say is a gambler and a degenerate gambler. You have to have discipline, and that's why you always say, "Well, hey, you're a gambler." And I always tell you, "No, I'm a strategic wagerer because I don't like to gamble because now that gambling means I'm making I'm making heartfelt decisions that don't add up numerically." Would you say that worm is disciplined? In poker, yes, but not in life. Okay. In poker, really? Yeah. I mean, even thinking yeah. about the, the yeah, municipal yeah. game? Yeah, because even before the municipal game, even uh, Mike, Mike, my Matt Damon character says he's like, his technique is flawless, but his judgment is off. He's disciplined to his principles, but his principles are skewed. There you go. Like, yeah. He feels like he, like, there's, like, even later, we'll talk about it later on the movie, even when he gets caught, he's like, hey. <laughs> like, like yeah. he's like... <laughs> <laughs> happy go lucky but uh yeah that's one of the things one of the other things is, is that i really want to touch on one of the talking parts of the film is that uh, i always like to do a movie tie-in and so the the first film we did of the season for that's the f-ing trailer was black panther and one of the things we discussed in that episode when when t'challa became king mm-hmm. it was the, the ceremony was during the day and the sun was rising and then when he lost the michael b jordan character eric killmonger later in the film it was the dawning i mean it was the the, the, the sun was setting so it was falling on the kingdom the the comparison when i saw it this time i was just like i'm watching rounders i'm like okay he sneaks out from his, his girlfriend at night to go try to win some more money clearly he's been doing good at it mm-hmm. it's at night and so he gets wiped out by by kbg is he gets he loses three uh he loses three stacks of high society which is thirty thousand dollars so that's at night the very next scene we see once he's outside talking to joy kanish is is that they it says nine months later mm-hmm. and nine months later it opens up with him doing the daytime doing a completely different job and so to me that was done on purpose it could have been six months later 12 months later nine months is a the, the term expectancy for a birth so for a child to be born so he died that night like mike mcd nine died that later. night then they say nine months later he's born into a new life where he and i told you man i made promises i can't play so yeah. to me that was that that kind of blew my mind a little bit um i <clears throat> I won't I won't get too far into this because it's one of my um, things I'd like to change. Mm-hmm. But I agree with what like there is definitely a a perfect balance in this movie. The way what, what was it? The, what it three three large three stacks of high society. That's ten thousand. Okay. Like I said, let me get three stacks of high society. Because remember, he walks in, he says five hundred. So he no. he starts out with three stacks of high society. Thirty thousand. In the end, he he's left with thirty thousand after the last game with him. Which oh, but you're I, still uh, upset with him, huh? Also, I'll get like I said that that's one of that I love that, but it's also one of the things that I would want to change something about that. But I told you that I thought that I saw one thing in this movie that I think I might that you didn't that you may have not have picked up on. Um, Mike has a horseshoe hanging on his front door, and you know what that means, right? Tell me, dude. A horseshoe. Is when you when you hang a horseshoe upside down on your door, it's to signify good luck. Yes, I thought that was very ironic. Definitely, I mean, it's not. It's it was not, done on purpose. Oh, I'm sure it was, but it's just because I know that I've told you many times when you say I'm I'm doing poker tonight, I'm like good luck. You're like I don't need luck, and I noticed that Mike says something very similar to his girlfriend. Like he he it's is not luck. It's skill, man. So it's so what the f- with the horseshoe. 
Well, it's just kind of like, you know, no, it's just like, hey, I mean, no, first, let's just be honest with you. We both done film. That was a director placement. The real Mike Medea would not have had that shit at his door. We both know that. So I love that. That is a very good point. Um, one of the things that, that really spoke to me, um, it's about a couple of talking points about the film was that they said, um, we, we, we'll bring that part up later. So one of the other things that they, they had a lot of good analogies in the film. And one of the one of the first ones they say is right at the beginning, he says I, he had to wind up driving a truck because he 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 broke one of the rules that even beginner car players know. Mm -hmm. Always leave yourself out. And you heard me talk about earlier, I treat life the same way. You diversify things that you can do. You want to be able to say, if this doesn't work, I can do this. If this doesn't, you don't want to go, as they say, all in, which is a no limit poker term, meaning you pushed all your chips to the center of a table. If this works out, you're going to be set. If it doesn't, you're fed. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, it was, it, I noticed that the movie was uh, made or released on 9 11. Uh, of course, this is '98, mm -hmm. so it's it's Pretty, little, it's before everything. Yeah. But I just well, thought that was ironic had that had a 9/11 release date, um, and it and the movie you know takes place all up in New York and and Newark. Um, mm -hmm. So that that was interesting to me. I, I do want to say that Abe Petrovsky is a mother saint. Well, uh, what is his name? Martin Landau. That character was uh, between him and uh, John Totoro. Uh, with uh, with Kanish, yeah, those two characters were like in a sea of sketchy characters. Those two were like the moral compasses in on like different sides of the like spectrum. like 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 he had two different Jimmy to the Crickets or something like you say two mm -hmm. different kinds. One thing I want to say is is when you bring it up, it's a good segue. Was they had a scene to where at the beginning of the film he goes to what they call the the judges game or whatnot, and he's sitting in there with those judges. One of easily one of the best uh, scenes in the film. But there's a line he says, and of course I've seen this two hundred and ninety seven thousand times. But apparently upon my last view, and I heard Mikey say something I hadn't heard before. He leaves leaves the game he's basically like you know any other night i would have i would have loved to, to lay with these lambs and so i'm like it's not about what he's called them it's like if you call someone a lamb you consider yourself like a lion like you're laying with the lambs like it's like he knows like oh my goodness i could have just he sees himself that way and so in contrast you consider he considers himself noble a, a lion that's what he does mm -hmm. and then your best friend's name's worm <laughs> i mean because it could, could have not have been you know call me worm yeah less less murphy um, the, uh, the, yeah, about Worm, I thought it was interesting, Edward Norton, his, cause he did, uh, uh, American History X right mm. before this. So in American History X, he also plays a character that has recently got out of prison acclimating in reality. But the contrast between those two characters are so crazy cause he, in American History X, he gets out of prison. He makes Edward Furlong's life better. This movie, he gets out of prison and he practically destroys uh matt damon's life so that's that that i thought was it's, pretty it's it's good not good you say that i would just say this it's intriguing you say that because again that's what lets me know the director was so intent and again you talked about it being a slow burn the reason why you take a chance when you make a film like this and you set up these characters for an hour until like a, a 99 minute film because yeah. if it doesn't pay if it's either going to be an a or f mm -hmm. and of course i think they came out with the a on this as far as like letter wise not given just letter wise it came out with an a but one thing i did want to talk about as much as they set up matt damon's character of mike mcdee they set up edward edward norton's character worm i mean they really want you to think about this from the time we hear well before we even meet him mike's girlfriend said what kind of guy's name is worm so she sets it up his name is worm so then guess what from the beginning 
They name him Worm. You hear the uh, the the you, basically we meet him in prison while he is running like six different scams at one time. But before we even meet him in prison, you have Mike Mike McDermott's character saying Worm put us up on a scam a week from selling kids oregano to having a start in five take a dive. And while that's funny, as I'm hearing that, I heard one thing that really stuck out to me. It was like once they when high school when they got um when when he got when they got caught. For having a starting five tech a dive, they say the point guard gave him up. They, they, they gave Worm up. They said, Worm, we'll go easy on you, or less we'll go easy on you. Just tell us who else was involved. He did not snitch. And the point I'm trying to make is that from that point, you can almost say, like, I'm not going to dive too deep into it, but their lives went just like this because he said, Mike says, I got to stay in school. So you got to go to stay in school, go to law school, and be living this life while Les Murphy, Worm, is in jail doing this. Nobody, they, they never really talk about it, they, they, but but they're living, like, you can almost say that why, that's why Worm later on in the film says, why is everything I do so f***ed up and wrong and everything you do so righteous and good? He still didn't even say, motherfucker, I took the fall for you. He never says, like, the code, written code is like, damn, mm -hmm. they're showing you these two different, their best friends going two totally different ways. Mike feels compelled to of be course. there for him. Yeah, he probably feels guilty. Of course, is why he turned around at the beginning of the movie after he said he made promises, I'm just going to sit. Bullshit. Mm -hmm. you're, you're a par player. You're, that's exactly what Worm tells me you are. My cut's 25%. She straightens him up and get, get in there, bitch. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't have any more notes on the movie. I just I, have a lot more I do. questions. Real quick, um, and before we go, I just had to get on this talking point Um, before we go. um, What I wanted to speak on was the fact that just show her picture right now and show her name because I want to, you know, show her, 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 her dude, like acting wise. I had no problem with her acting. And a matter of fact, you can almost say her acting was so good that it pissed me off the more and more. Are you every talking time, about Gretchen Maul? I know her name. Okay. But I'm trying to differentiate Gretchen from the Grinch because what I'm trying to tell you happened here was like from the fucking beginning. Like I get it. I get he lost three stacks of high society. I'm not knocking that shit. But once you forgave me, fucking forgive me. Don't be holding. Wait, no, you wait, you wait. You said you had no more talking points. No, I do <laughs> now. <laughs> I Gretchen will do that to you. With that being said, like, dude. All right, she, she. All right, I get she. St she sticks by him. Now this is exactly what I, I had to write this down because I was just getting so infuriated. Like she, like okay, he comes home after his night with Worm. Mm -hmm. He didn't get no. He what? was out. He was out. What? What you you got it? He 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 was out with Worm. They were out like again. Yes, he was playing cards. But then she says she said, and he comes and he's like, "Hey, baby, come to me." He tries to have coitus with her. Is that better? He tries to have coitus with her, and she was like, "No, no, you we gotta go." And then after that, she starts questioning him like, "So tell me something. You weren't this, or you weren't that, or something like." Wait a minute. So you don't want to me? You want to with me? So that that's a problem right there. Then let me tell you, she she gets loose with it. Then she says, so you were nowhere near a car game. Okay, yeah, he lied. I'm not saying he's right for it. He lied. He goes and takes the shower. Motherfucking Carmen Sandiego goes through his pants. She's the worst private investigator ever. She Justifiably goes through, so. Okay, I'll, I'm letting that ride. But you go through his pants, and then you sit it up on the thing. She, she, she and, she no, and then, no, later on says, you know why I left? I found that gangster's rolling your heart. It. it was sitting up on the like why are you like come on he was the one playing dumb about it he got he put her in the position to have to explain I, like i thought that would speak for itself but well, where'd you go where'd you go you the the wad of money on the counter didn't tell you 
And you say he doesn't forgive him. If you're going to forgive him, forgive him. She did forgive him, but then he keeps on fucking up. There are different. There are no, there because, no, because she was fucking with him like, hey, like I might be hooked up for the summer. Oh, really? Hooked up? How? Tell me. All she's doing is gathering information. Tell me. And then he was like, uh, you know, um, I think I got might be hooked up with a summer clerkship with Judge Mirachi. Well, he she was like, what happened? Well, I went by last night when you guys were playing cards, and she looks at him like he did, he said they were playing cards. She's like, look, wait, honey, whoa. Whoa, because that lets you know she beats on him at night. That's a part of the story they never brought. So she, he was like, honey, look, look I was not, I didn't play. She, and then so he was like, I caught his eye and I read his hand blind. And so I got his attention. And she was like, so instead of coming home last night, you were out playing f***ing cars. Like, so she like. She did not she, say. Oh, you want, how many times have I seen this? She didn't say f***ing, but she said that. How many times have I seen this? Fact check. So instead of coming home last night, you were out playing cards, cards, cards. <laughs> All right. I, I just, I respectfully disagree. I think that okay. she is just, one, I don't see her as being like she about it in any way. If anything, I thought Who she said was, You've been bleeping me the whole time. I thought she was being pretty cool about it. And when, like, when he went out all night and didn't even call her or say anything and she's waiting, I'm, I was like, oh my God, I would be <laughs> dead i wouldn't even come home at that point it'd be like it's time to hit the highway <laughs> like and then he just Highway time. <laughs> he just strolls in and but better believe if i was out all night did not call angela strolled in in the morning to her obviously passive aggressively angry with me my response to her wouldn't be go ahead and go without me i'm gonna hop in the shower like he's just digging his own grave you can't blame her for covering it up with dirt she clearly wanted the best for him you know, she wanted him to be a Ken doll. She wanted the best version for of him that she saw. And with that being said, furthermore, let me tell you how manipulative she was. Later on in the film, they they he comes to he comes to mute court late. He does come there late or whatever and all this other stuff. So what happens is, like after after Joey Kanish shows up and then yeah, he he was preparing to be late for the actual thing. Right, right. Well he had it now. He definitely had it. So after Joey Kanish shows up, they leave. Um, or whatnot, and so when he come back, everybody's going. So we, the next scene cuts to Matt Damon trying to find. He's like, "Hey, I was looking for you." She's like, "I didn't want to be found." Okay, let that ride. Okay, mm -hmm. whatever. That's cold. I like that, baby. That's some cold stuff to say. So I don't want to be found. Then she said, he, "She," and, and and then he was like, well, "Well, I'm sorry." She was like, "Hey, such and such and such and such were waiting on you at the lawyers' meeting." And then he tries to apologize. He was like, "You know what?" He's like, "Joe, I missed one meeting." She's like, "That's not even why I live." Like, goddamn. You are trying to set this man. The, for, why did you even bring it up if that's not why you left? The moment he said, moment she said, such and such and such, just were waiting on you. He said, I missed one meeting, and you know, all we can all attest to that. Like I only missed one meeting. She's like, well, that's not why I brought. That's not why I left. Mm -hmm. Also, since that didn't work, you're gonna keep trying to jig me and jig me. I get it. He lost thirty thousand dollars. I get it. But you stayed. Did you stay? You know what yeah, I said? She stayed because he made a promise that he wouldn't. Fuck up Who was like lead that counsel? Again. Who was lead counsel? He, he was. was. Yeah. And if she was smart enough, she should, that's why she wasn't lead counsel, because she would have stayed if she was that smart. And that's a talking point. Maybe he became lead counsel because she pushed him and, and wanted the best for him. I just, I thought that it was a, 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 that was one of my problems with the end, is that he walks away from her and, and to go to Vegas. Like, he didn't walk away from her. 
He tried one more time. He was like, I'm nah, talking about us. He already had his set, his sets on his eyes set on the horizon for the West. He was, and she had her set on her eyes in what she saw on him, not the horizon. Her eyes in what she saw on him. That's wordplay right. for you. We won't get it. This is not going to become a killmonger thing. So we will just agree that you think that you think she's the devil, and I think she's a saint. Well, you know who won't be getting best artist for this film? <laughs> hey, she played it good. Oh, look no, she how, got, how she, how she, did, she did. She did. She did. She did. She did. I won't take that from her. She did. All right, you ready to move on? I guess. Not emotionally, but picture-wise, yes. Let's hit big fikes. Fikes, 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 fikes. F-I-K-E-X. Or, as we call them, fikes. All right, I got 14 fikes for uh, rounders. I, I keep wanting to call it boiler room. I, I will do it before this Please don't do that, because I will never let you come on the show again. Don't do really? that. Really? Yes. Well, no. I mean, you, you do a lot of heavy lifting. All right. This Just don't call it boiler room. Okay. Great. All right. 14. Number 14, Book Smart. Early on, Mike is seen taking money out of a poker book called Super System. This book was written by real-life poker legend Doyle Brunson. I know that. Okay, that's why I was looking at you. I was hoping for you to... Well, I was actually hoping you would grab my book that I bought because that's one of the books also that they show in the film quickly there. If you could show it to them. Dan Dan Harrington? Yes. Bill... Jesus Christ, give me this. All right. All right, yeah. All right. I don't know about them. (laughs) All right, just like the Bible. I don't have any notes about them. I have Doyle Brunson. And Mike also quotes Doyle Brunson. He does. Do you you know what this is on my shirt? 7-2? Is that... that, A Doyle Brunson. Wake up. Hello, hello. Go. Wait, a Doyle Brunson. What is a Doyle Brunson? 7-2, because basically my shirt says, I I don't even fold my laundry, meaning with any two cars, you can win anything. It's about your attitude, your perception, your mental aspect. Yeah, not not folding. Is that like like a, a famous... Pair that he well, had no, so you didn't know that. What happens is, like, pocket aces are called pocket rockets, kings are called cowboys. Certain, what certain card combinations have names, and the seven twos are door Brunson. Okay. Okay. I mean, you're not, why are you looking at me like I don't know what I'm no, saying? I've lost sh- enough money. The sh- is going over my head. I'm just trying to, <laughs> trying to catch up to it. Don't sh- on me and tell me your sh- Number thirteen, written in writers David Levian and Brian Copelman, both have cameos in the film. You could spot them in the Atlantic City poker scene as two players used to illustrate giveaway tells. Right, and speaking of the tells, we'll speak about that later. But again, uh, not only them, Daniel Negreanu was in the film. They have, of course, had Johnny Chan in the film, so they really play homage. And Johnny get... Chan is that the guy that was wearing the glasses? Mm-mm. Okay, see, yeah. It's Johnny Tran. <laughs> no, not Johnny Tran. I'm, I'm messing with you. That was him. Yeah, that's the guy that on the video we were looking at when they show, they reference him twice. Because remember, Mike plays back at him later on in the film, but it's almost, so that's what connects the dots. Mm-hmm. That's the callback. In the beginning of the film, he's studying him. It's on a VHS tape. Like, he's seen this tape a million times, but then the callback is later. He's in Atlantic City one night. He runs into him. It's like, oh, shit. I don't have the money to play with him, but I got the mental wherewithal. Okay. Okay. Number 12, Barely History. Right before a worm is released from jail, he shaves his goatee off. This is the same goatee he sported in American History X. You might also notice that his hair is shorter in this scene than the rest of the film. This is because Norton's hair was still growing back from shaving it completely bald for his neo-Nazi role. Yes, and as we talked about before, the only difference was this time he came out of prison in American History X, completely a different person. He came out of prison in Rounders, completely a worse person. Yeah. <laughs> Or at least just the same. Nah. Well, that's right, because uh, Mike does say it at one point he, he's just going on his instinct that he could still, that his friend is still his friend, that he didn't change. Right, exactly. Um, number 11, Nev Er. Nev Campbell turned down the role of Joe. You know why? Because she read the script and she knew that that wasn't the type of <laughs> she wanted to be. Oh my God, there's going to be so many bitches to bleep out in this episode. That's All what right. I said. 
Number 10, The Company You Keep. Rounders marked the second time in 1998 that Oscar winner Matt Damon would work with either a former Best Actor winner or nominee. Damon co-starred with two-time winner Tom Hanks in Saving Private Ryan, and of course, Edward Norton, who was nominated for his role in Primal Fear, as well as American History X, which was completed a year before production began on Rounders, but was not released until after Rounders uh, in 1998. They took a real big chance with casting both of these uh, gentlemen because of the fact that when you think about uh, the people who've worked with Edward Norton and the people who've worked with Matt Damon and how they both are perceived in the acting community, the, the fact that you're able to get them to come together on the screen and then make us believe that they were actual best friends is it speaks to their caliber of acting that the actors that they are mm-hmm. number nine do you feel lucky punk so who is who is mike mcdermott's uh favorite actor clint eastwood okay so this is this is on that matt damon's character's favorite actor clint eastwood um he would matt damon would go on in 2011 to be directed by clint eastwood in the film hereafter just a a little connection um number eight same eye rounders was in production in december 1997 when goodwill hunting was released both films star matt damon and were shot by cinematographer i'm gonna fuck this up jean vez esquive i like it does that look right <laughs> did it <laughs> yep all right we'll go with it j-y-e let's say that j-y-e Number seven, Norton Hears a Who. John Totoro's character references a famous boxer named Norton. Coincidentally, of course, the same last name as one of the lead actors in the movie. I love that because he did just get busted up. And he tells him that in the bathhouse scenes when he comes out, like, he's like, he just went three rounds with Norton. Man, you do know this movie well. Uh, a little bit. All right, number six, Marvelous, Edward Norton and Famke Johnson would go on to appear in Marvelous Films, Marvelous. See what I did. Definitely not marvelous. Nah, not, no, not a, no, no, no marvel here. Although, uh, <coughs> go ahead. Edward Norton and Femke Johnson would go on to appear in Marvel films later in their careers. Norton portraying the Incredible Hulk a decade following Rounders and Femke Johnson appearing in the X Men trilogy as well as Wolverine in 2013. They are no longer with the Marvel Cinematic franchise. I'm going to throw that out there. Spoiler alert. I know that you said that uh, Mike is based on a real life person. I would no Mike Mike McDermott's character. They say it's based off several different characters. I got one of them. Who based on the Howard Stern show? If if we could trust the Howard Stern show, uh, number five, the norm. According to a Howard Stern interview, the film is partially based on actor, comedian, professional Burt Reynolds impersonator Norm Macdonald. That lets you know he's an avid strategic wager not gambler yeah it fits definitely for his character number four no smoking worm was originally supposed to smoke but edward norton a strict non-smoker refused not only did he refuse he got scenes put into the film while other scenes are getting cut he got scenes put in the film specifically showing much he hated smoking yeah i wondered that about that scene in the prison when he that that whole punchline relies well it's not it doesn't rely on the fact that he doesn't smoke but it definitely makes it funnier when you find out that he's taking cigarettes and he doesn't smoke when he tells them if you're so convinced on killing yourself you should become better card players i just wonder if that scene was written with it in with it in mind for him to be a smoker and he changed it because he doesn't want to smoke Mm -hmm. and it made it funnier or if that whole scene just came to be because I think it came to be because of him, even from the punch-out shot with the trash can and that punch-in shot with the trash can and everything. That's actually a good segue to number three, Loose Worm. Edward Norton improvised a number of Worm's lines, including, She crossed her legs too fast. 
which is a quote from 1974's Chinatown. And we'll uh, talk about Chinatown in just a little bit when we discuss the uh, terrible people that brought us terrific films. Awesome. We will definitely be getting to that. And when he referencing Carson or Larry, that was actually after he got beat up by someone named Grandma. So, you know, you might want to tell, you know, who crossed her legs too quick. I don't know. Yeah. Number two, Lines Blurred. In 1998, Matt Damon and Edward Norton played the $10,000 buy-in Texas Hold'em Championship at the World Series of Poker in Las Vegas. Damon was knocked out during the first of the four-day tournament by former world champion and poker legend Doyle Brunson. How, how weird is that? Yeah. You he, know. He, even in real life, he doesn't know when to walk away. That's, that's your, but that's your opinion that's not mine and i will get to that i will elaborate on that opinion when we will talk you? about what we would have changed about this movie okay number one another round a sequel to the hit film has been in talks for quite some time there's even an imdb page created for rounders 2 under the project title the audition basics in power but who knows? In 2018, when talks of a sequel came up during the film's 10-year anniversary, Matt Damon denied the possibility, saying there wasn't a market for a film like Rounders 2. Side note, although these comments were made one year after Damon made Downsizing, so let's not pour our trust into him regarding what the market is thirsty for. Um, Damon doesn't even seem to follow his own words. In 2016, he teased about talking to writers Copelman and Levian, saying they had a great idea for a sequel. Fast forward to just last year in September 2019, the topic came up again when poker pro Daniel Negranu, thank you very much, you got it. tweeted, I need rounders too. We all need, we all need it. Tagging uh, writer Brian Copelman, who responded, it's never too late. However... Copelman previously conceded that he and co-writer David Levian don't control the rights to the film. And I don't think Weinstein is in the position to make that call at the moment. So who knows? Take all that and make your best judgment call whether or not you should be excited for Rounders 2, but I would not bet on it. I see what you did there, and I don't want to... Um, I, I'm, I'm not going to fold my opinion. I'm going to let you know I don't want to see a Rounders 2. Sometimes I, I'm a... I'm a we talked about how much we love film, and so, I'm a firm believer in the classics. Sometimes classics should just be that, and sometimes stories should be left up to interpretation. I don't want to know. That's what makes our argument that we're going to have later so great. We both feel separately about him going to uh, the World Series of Poker at the end, but we don't. If they come back and tell us what happened now, either you're right, or I'm I'm right. We're both wrong. It's like no. Let's let the conversation go. Let's. I mean, when you used to read books, all books don't have sequels to them. Let that, let your imagination flutter. Sometimes I don't want to see a sequel. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. All um, right. And guess what, guys? Those were big fikes. There you go. All right. Before we get out of big fikes, we have a special segment for today's episode. We have to recognize the fact that this film, I mean, we don't have to, but we're going to. This film is uh, produced by um, now infamous Harvey Weinstein. So <laughs> with that being said, <laughs> with that being said, um, this segment is called uh, Terrific Films, brought to you by Terrible, terrible King. And I mean terrible. Before we get into this list, and I, and it's, there are, I mean, Hollywood is rife with terrible people. Um, I've condensed this list to 10 people. This is not to... Um, this is not to say that these are the worst 10 people. This isn't a countdown from 10 to 1. These are just 10 in no specific order that I was able to find in the time that I had. And really, to find them, all you have to do is just close your eyes and reach, and you will find somebody in Hollywood that's That's how terrible. most of them got in trouble, close their eyes and reaching. Yes. <laughs> gotcha. All right. <laughs> so here we go, number 10. Tim Allen was a drug trafficker. 
On the other hand, he gave us Tim the Toolman, Taylor, Big Trouble, Toy Story, Jungle to Jungle. I think Wild Hogs was a greater offense than the cocaine smuggling. Number nine, Rob Lowe had a had, Rob Lowe had sex with a 16-year-old when he was 24 and filmed it. Robert. On the other hand, he's Chris Traeger, Parks and Recreation. Come on. What he is is triggering a memory that I don't want to go down anymore. Thank you. No. Nope. Also, no, no, oh, oh. also <laughs> I'm not. I am not. I. I am. It's too late. Uh, Go, man. Number eight. <laughs> slippery slopes there. Depending on who you ask, OJ Simpson is a murderer. Um, is OJ Simpson a murderer? Huh? On the other hand, Naked Gun. I told gun. you the juice to get you. Naked Gun. Yeah. Hurts commercials. Running through the airport. Those badass knees. Number seven. Winona Ryder is a shoplifter. On the other hand, Heathers. Number six, Mel Gibson is a sexist, racist, abusive, weirdo piece of shit. On the other hand, Lethal Weapon. Hey. Yeah. I did like Lethal Weapon. Yeah, I mean. I didn't I, realize he was a Lethal Weapon. Passion of the Christ was all right. But yeah, yeah. Just a little violent for my taste. Ask the atheist what they thought. <laughs> you did. I just told you. <laughs> it was all right. As an atheist, I did not like watching Jesus get the beat out of him to that degree for that length of time that was terrible i mean we, right there we should have known that no, there was something whatever um whoa number five victor salva this guy was convicted of sexual misconduct oral sex with a why am i saying it so excitingly like it's why are you looking at me as if i as, <laughs> if, I, as if i saw the pre-show notes allow, why, like allow me allow me to, to change tones Victor Salva, I can't, I'm in it. Victor Salva was convicted of sexual misconduct, oral sex with a 12-year-old star from his film Clown House, and child pornography was also found in his home. On the other hand, Jeepers Creepers, Powder, two very good films. And yet again, he was on Powder being a creeper when he committed those crimes. Let's keep moving. Thank you. I actually, when I worked at Hollywood Video, we took copies of all the copies that we had of Powder out into the parking lot and VHS, not DVD. So it was much more gratifying. You're talking about the film or the drug? Uh, this is, I was 19. Is no, no Again, drug. I was talking about the film or the drug. Uh, to clarify, it was the film. Okay. We also threw some copies. I feel bad about the Michael Jackson, but we threw Michael Jackson's concert around on the, out there in the parking lot too. Um, That's respectful. Number four, Roman Polanski. And that is Polanski, not Petlansky. He is a fugitive charged with five offenses against a 13-year-old girl when he was 43 years old. Rape by use of drugs, sodomy, lewd and lascivious acts upon a child, furnishing a controlled substance to a minor, and just general perversion. On the other hand, Rosemary's Baby, Chinatown, The Ninth Gate, The Pianist. He's still making movies did you say the, Did you say The Ninth Grade and The Penis? Cause that's what I heard. Next, that, that's on. probably what he heard too. Yeah, why he said, Green light. All right. Number three, Bill Cosby and his countless offenses of drugging and raping women. On the other hand, Dr. Cliff Huxtable. I have to say, and Ghostad, depending on who you ask. Ghostad was uh, was an all right contribution. Meteor man. The, uh... <laughs> Number two, Woody Allen married his adopted daughter. Uh, on the other hand, pretty much all of his movies. I don't really get into them, but. Uh, apparently they're you can just ask paul mooney how he feels about freaky ass woody allen and number one and i guess this really is number one because this guy is like the poster boy for the me too movement 
Harvey motherfucking Weinstein, the serial sexual assaulter. On the other hand, let me take a breath because you have not not seen a movie that this has not done. We actually, I actually found out we have like three movies just in this 13 season, uh, 13 episode season that were done by Harvey Weinstein. So he's inescapable. Good luck trying to ban, trying to, uh, what is it called? Well, Boycott. He yeah. may be inescapable, but he's not escaping the prison system oh, he's in the, now. So let's keep going from there. And I guess he, Harvey Weinstein, he's inescapable. I'm sure a lot of women out there would have the very same. Damn, this whole thing was just a bad idea. Yeah, well, you're the editor. All right, so Harvey Weinstein, yes, all terrible for all that. On the other hand, and this goes through the alphabet twice on this uh, drop down here. So, true romance, pulp fiction, flirting with disaster, the English patient, scream, mimic, <laughs> Airbud, copland, goodwill hunting, Jackie Brown, 54, the faculty, Shakespeare in love, scary movie, Jay and Silent Bob strike back, the Lord of the Rings, equilibrium, gangs of New York, Chicago, Kill Bill, Fahrenheit 9-11, finding Neverland, the aviator, Sin City, clerks 2, sicko, death proof, 1408, The Mist, Rambo, Zack and Miri make a porno, Capitalism, A Love Story, Youth and Revolt, The King's Speech, Silver Linings Playbook, The Django Unchained, Southpaw, The Hateful Eight, and of course, Rounders. It's not like they just read his whole deposition. I can make a sentence of all the things he did where he did sin in a bunch of cities. Um, he's probably been doing it since 1408. I have proof that he should, death should be there as intimate. I don't, he's not a king speaking. He's been round and round with all these fucking litigation charges. You want me to keep going? I bet, he would, I bet he would love Neverland, just keeping everybody young. How many clerks has he fucked over? Two? More than that? See, like I say, it's more than that. Well, yeah, so, anyway, that's, um, again, we, we don't... You keep saying we. This was your idea, we, I went along with it, and now I'm in, a, I'm, I'm in a deposition. We don't support any of these uh, monsters, especially Winona Ryder with her dirty shoplifting. Um, especially... Damn it, man, everything about this is wrong. Let's just move on. All right. All right, here we're back here. Guys, you know what time it is where we talk about our favorite scenes of the film. And for me, I had to narrow this down from 90 down to three. But hey, somebody had to do it. So why not? Therefore, and me. Now, one of the uh, one of the first scenes that I really did like about the film, it happens at the beginning, is, again, the judges game. Because to me, there are so many things going on. When he first walked in, he says, in this room of brilliant minds, there's not one true card player in here so he's already letting you know you can be educated you can be book smart doesn't mean you're going to be a great poker player you have to have a different mindset to play this game and so he's sitting here with people with double phds and all type of letters that we don't even know that they have people that can start or end his career but within 30 seconds of him being in that room he shows them not only do i not i i learned everything just the psychological standpoint of the game that's where they really show you about people's tales he only saw one person's car and the person's cars he saw had a f***ing busted straight mm -hmm. but he looked around that room and was able to point out everything everybody had and they were all like get the f*** out of here like hey hey guy first your first assignment come pull up a chair next to me oh i don't play cards so that was one of my top scenes right did i take that from you when he delivers the papers to the judges um yeah, that was that was like that's probably eh, municipal. Yeah, no, I would say that's like my number two scene for sure. That okay. that because that is when Matt Damon is at his greatest when he's being a smart smart ass and like proving to a group of people he's a smart smart ass. And this is like fresh off of Goodwill Hunting again with the how do you like them apples? That was his 
how do you like them apples moment when he i mean what did he, he bet for a clerkship with one of the judges ended up proving him wrong speaking of that though that was the callback scene remember when he finds worm later on in the film he said hey man i thought you were the janitor yeah, that was the good yeah. little cutting callback i thought ah, you were the janitor that's what yes, i do, man. I, do okay. this. I do this Okay, I'll go again. All right, so to me, one of my other favorite scenes was Worm trying to wiggle out of the bathroom. When Grandma first confronts him in the strip club, their dialogue for like the first 90 seconds is that of epicness because there's a backstory there. Grandma used to run with Worm and he used to be like, he's like, hey man, you were my partner. He was like, I was your lackey. He's letting me know like you shit on me for so long. And so he was like, he man, he was like, hey man, um, I, I went out on my own and guess what I'm thinking? He was like, oh, you're thinking now? That's good. So notice... He, when he throws this motherfucker in the bathroom, he's like, all right, now here's what I'm thinking. Like, he's still, like, you know, like that verbal jab you got out there? He was like, instead of you owing 15000 to five guys, you owe 25 large to me. He was like, and that's the first time you see Worm, like, take a, like, somebody, like, the IRS just came to get him. He was like, man, what? What the f*** do you get off? He was like, what the f*** do I get off? He was like, he was like, where, where'd you even get that money to buy up that type of scratch? You've been rolling f***s in the village again. And then, like, he can backhands him and even it, it to me that bathroom scene encompasses what worm was there's pouring all over the background there's a guy getting a blowjob soon as they walk in there and then grandma who makes his money off prostitution and gambling's like man get the fuck out of here come on get the fuck out don't zip it up get the fuck out of yeah, here yeah. and he's trying to tell him like you're the first person that just got fucked in the bathroom and i didn't take my dick out that's why that's a beautiful scene this isn't one of my scenes but it does remind me of that when they come back to uh to bargain with him and he like in most scenes like that the uh the antagonist would have like beat the shit out of the human being to to you know show their their strength or what they're what they're going to do to like as a threat <laughs> he beats the shit out of his dog <laughs> oh yeah you gotta catch him in he's the so, he's yeah, so low level <laughs> um all right, my uh, my number my number this is my number one scene. Um, Worm, when Worm beats the guys in prison, this was like a ah, there was like there at least three punchlines in this. <laughs> so he's playing them for their smokes. He takes their smokes. So first you find out he's leaving. He's he's getting out right then. You know he's like, you play me tomorrow. You win them back tomorrow. No, they can't. He's <laughs> about to get out. They realize that they're like you know. You're, you can go get a pack of cigarettes anywhere. Just, you know, give them to you. are being an asshole. That right there lets you know that he is all about the principles of the game. He doesn't give a shit about... He doesn't care. It's not about being able to go out and get his own cigarettes. It's about the fact that he won those from them. They lost. They don't have their cigarettes anymore. And then the punchline, you don't even smoke. That was... Uh, yeah, that was that, awesome. But what makes that scene beautiful is when he gets in the car later on with Matt Damon's character, Mike McDermott, and he says, man, it's like two different economies in there. There's trade and there's cash. I got to lose, I got to skim enough cash off the guards to lose it to the white guys to get protection, but then I got to trim enough smokes to keep me accustomed to the lifestyle I'm accustomed to. Like, he's letting you know, like, all this is happening, but yeah. I, I do, that was on my honorable mention list, but what my number one scene really had nothing to do with cars. It had more so to do with life is when he, when he's with Martin Landau, and um, when they, when, when he comes to meet him for a drink, and he was like, hey, what are you drinking? He was like, gin, always gin, showing he's from a different era, and he was saying that he's a judge. He's always had a passion for law, but he was a child prodigy to be like a prophet or a rabbi or something of mm -hmm. that nature. And so he basically got ousted from his village. 
and he left to go do something his family like like he disgraced his family by going to do it and he basically tells uh, Mike McDermott Matt Damon's character and because Mike asked him he, he's like he's like man he was like uh, he's basically telling when he first started that conversation he was like that was an impressive trick you pulled with the cars and Matt Damon was like oh man thank you he was like but that was all together different trick you pulled by mute, missing mute court and he was like well I apologize he's like you ain't gotta apologize you just gotta work harder and that's when he sat there and looked at me like, well, let me tell you this story about me supposed to be in a rabbi. At the end of that story, Matt Damon says to him, he says, well, let me ask you this. If you could do it all over again, would you make the same choice? And he looks up and says, what choice? To me, that was the essence of him saying like, dude, you got to be who you're going to be regardless. What everybody else is saying, what you should do and you can do. If you innately believe it in your heart, no one should take that from you. And that's why I say this is not a poker film. This is film that has poker aspect, but it talks about life. What did you hear me say earlier in the opening? The reason why I resonate with this film so much is because to me, poker is that ultimate game, just like chess, to where there are life aspects happening, to mm -hmm. where you, no matter what two cards you give me, I'm going to be a winner regardless. Yeah. I determine the rules. Yeah, there's another time and Mike talks about how it was. it's not really a choice where he's... Um, He's like, I know I shouldn't be here, uh, but sometimes reasons don't matter. Yeah. 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 Um, that's, yeah. That's when he went back. He went, he, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's one thing. One last honorable mention before, because I know we're wrapping up honorable mentions on, on the scenes. And you mentioned it, but you didn't bring it back up, is when he says, he comes to KGB's establishment like 12 hours before owing this motherfucker this money. And he's like, I'm looking for a game. He was like, he was like, don't you owe me money? He was like, that's my money until tomorrow. I, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Let's go. Let's go. And what did you say? Like, as a person that you owe me that money, like, I want you to go more and halt, but now, I just want the money now. But he yeah. says that's how much he really, that they that's both were into he, poker yeah. that he was willing to risk, like, this dude really got them. They gambled they, for yeah, it. He was, he was, he's all for the gamble. And that, I, that scene, I, that's one of my honorable mentions, of course, that, that whole scene, but it, what sold it was at the very end where when KGB says he beats me straight up, pay that man his money. Pay him, like, pay that, him that man his money. After he was over there doing a the little. That was after. At, that was you. after me. Like I was, I was up and down in that scene. So I was like, walk away. Walk away. No, and see, he understands this. You know why he didn't walk away? is because of what he said at the beginning of the film. After he plays them, they play heads up twice. He wins the first time, and he says, I can leave now, paying back uh, paying back uh, Landau's character all his money and be, and having $5,000 and only on somebody. He was basically would have been only down $5,000. He gets up and walks away, and then they say, and they say he says something. But if, again, same thing he called back to the beginning of the movie. If you're too careful, your whole life could be a grind he went from owing five thousand to up like thirty five thousand and like mm -hmm. two and a half three hours all when he caught his tail but we'll talk about tails later i call that luck get the get the fuck off the show <laughs> jesus christ you, you got know, you have another scene or is that your last yes but we're about to make one it's all called right. david leaves the show because he just called it luck and i'm trying to break down this i'm trying to break down the algorithms within uh, know, the numerical structure of a confine of inertia that you can't seem to understand at the end of the day, it is cards that are being placed in your hand. So what just like it, just like in life, yeah, you you can use a certain amount of skill to do the best that you can with the with the luck or the hand that you've been given. But at the end of the day, there are reasons why people that are doing putting forth the same exact effort as we are are in a completely different position, whether it be better or worse. It is not all skill, and with when somebody is handing you a card, that is the most condensed version of. There is a, a certain amount of luck at play. You have a computer. I have a computer. A person C has a computer. We can all make different things. And that's the message. My number one scene, and I'm a number one scene, but definitely in the top three, is the municipal game. 
one, when they get up there, they're like, uh, come pick me up in eight hours. Like, that, I know that that is all right with you. Like, you're like, yeah, sure, eight hours, normal game. I'm like, I've never fucking played an eight-hour game. I've never done anything for, well, except for editing. Go into a, you don't even know if you're welcome there. Pick me up in eight hours. You get paid to edit, right? Yeah. I get paid to play poker. All right, all right, all right. What are we talking about? What I, what I do like about that scene, though, is when, like, he makes it abundantly clear. Do not fucking go in there. It's either me or it's you. It's not both of us. He's sitting there. Everything is going so good. And they set it up like you could just, there's something about the tone when they set some, a scene up like that where everything's going too good. You know, like, all right, this isn't the movie. I'm hey, watching. man, I met this guy down at the bowling alley. Yeah, and and my face did exactly what Matt Damon's face does in that moment. Like, And it hung on his face where he's just like, this is all about the beef. Like, I had it in the bag. Now I don't know. Oh, and he know. He knew. And and it and it was definitely he knew because I'm gonna let Mike call this line out. Mike Mike yell this from the background. What's the what's the phrase we always say when we think somebody's cheating or they're doing something? Hey Sarge, he's base dealing. Son of a, he's base. Hey Sarge, I got like I called a hanger. What? Hey, hey man, don't get don't get agitated. And he says that to him like, aren't you guys supposed to just read us our rights or something? Like, don't get agitated, y'all. Be you boys working. Yeah, that that scene, that was great. I've never seen a white man get called a boy and felt like it was a slave movie. That's the first time I felt ever. He was like, you boys working? No, sirs. We's not working together. Jesus Christ. Yeah, very good scene. Very good choice, man. Great choice. All right, let's move on to scene stealers. All right. Quick recap. Um, oh, on, another recap. On the board. Put my girl on the board. On Put the my board. girl on the board. Episode 1, Black Panther, we have Okoye. Episode 2, Tenet, we have Robert Pattinson. Episode 3, The Living Wake, we have my man, motherfucking Michael, motherfucking Connell, rooting for you still. Who is going to join uh, those three winners on the board on episode 4? You go first. I went first last oh, okay. time. You want, all right. So, uh, I got... I got Honorable mention to Matt Damon. He was great, obviously. Mm -hmm. He carried the movie. That's no easy task. He did it without... It was... He, he was great. My only my only issue, why he is not going on the board on my behalf today is because every time I was watching him, all I could think was, I wish this was good Will Hunting. Because this was pretty much all of the wit and, and character development and plot driving... The slow burn. It was everything great about Goodwill Hunting, plus a whole bunch of fucking poker. So, if I want to watch uh, Rounders and not deal with the poker, I would just watch Goodwill Hunting. And Matt Damon, this was so close in proximity to when he did Goodwill Hunting, he even had pretty much the same wardrobe in a lot of them. Definitely movies. had the same hair. Definitely had the same hair. <clears throat> I, I just, I, he made me want to watch uh, Goodwill Hunting instead of watching Rounders. Um, John Totoro is another honorable mention because he's he's just I usually see him play an asshole or some kind of prick. In this, he still had that like oh, you, he could be a prick, but he was at the end of the day he was a really good friend. And you talking about Joey Kanish? Yeah, yeah, Joey okay. Kanish. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's such a good actor where he could be he could be so menacing and make you laugh and feel comfortable at the same exact time. Um, the range on him is insane. Uh, 
and just his character, Kanish was a uh, like again like with uh, Martin Landau Martin Landau's character. Um, he's it's like a, a a nice grounded person in all of the chaos. Uh, what does he say? Um, I don't. It's not. It's not about the thrill of the win. It's about the money. Continue. Okay, you got something that you. Oh, no, I know this is your. This no, is your. No, that, you go. No, you're, you're giving us your number one. I will not talk on your number one. Right, go. My please. number one is Edward Norton. Uh, call me Worm. Les Murphy. He's just. I, I think it it it's his character because he's so off the hinges. You never know what what he's going to do. He you can always expect him to not shut up when he absolutely should shut up, which is entertaining to watch. Um, was it not because the first moment we meet him, he walks out the first nobody talks about his Michael Jackson moment. He walks out of jail, sees Mike McDermott, he's like he does the whole I'm like, what like I'm back. Like he does everything. Like I've gotten I'm not I'm not rehabilitated. He's like I am back. Let's get this. He does everything big. That's what's so great about Edward Norton. Whatever he's doing, he leans completely into it. And we'll get and in the interview, this this even confirms what I what I said in the interview with Lisa that as much as he gets a slack for being an asshole behind the scenes in production, um, I think he is such an awesome actor. Oh yeah, agreed. So if that's what produces some that the performances <clears throat> that he's given in movies like Primal Fear and American History X, um, so you going with Edward Norton? For sure. Okay. I want to say uh, definitely real quick, honorable mention to uh, Joey Kanish's character. Like he was really, it was really between him and the person that I was going to say for the number one. Uh, he just didn't have enough time on screen to really let his character, his, well, his character was fleshed out. Like <clears throat> he was that, we never saw a father figure for Mike McDee, but if there was a father, but he says that at the beginning of the film, the closest thing to his like it's like me and Mike, me and Mike are friends. When we play poker, you're not technically friends anymore. And that's why he says, uh, Joy Kanish, a street legend. Um, he basically a true grinder. He's like the closest thing to a friend I can have in here, but tonight I don't want to see him. Mm -hmm. Cause that's when he came with the three stacks of high society, which is how much money again? Uh, 30,000. Look at you learning. Ding. All right. I don't so want to learn this. You should. All right. With that being said. So, but like I say, Joy Kanish is like, he really drew, drew me into the point where I went and researched who he was, uh, later on like the real character a couple of years ago but it was just like man because he, he's that friend to him when he said even at the end when he saw his friend all fucked up and beat up and everything he looks at him and says you know what you need the truck i can do that for you, you need me to call a couple people buy mm -hmm. you some time i can do that to you but for the money i gotta say no yeah. And to me, that's a true friend. It's like, man, he I got to... He saw that as a... He's a smart businessman. Correct. He's, he saw that as a bad investment. What did he, he say? Gonna, he was just going to buy you a few days. Right. He said, like, if I give it to you, I'm throwing it away. What, mm -hmm. what, what, if 500 won't help you, what's 1,000? What's 2,000 going to do? But my number one uh, artist uh, goes to... Got to put him on the board in his fear because they were there the whole time. It's going to go to Matthew Damon. The reason why I went with Matt Damon in this is because of the fact that I had to look at it from a perspective of, number one, an actor, number two, a poker player, um, and number three, a person they asked him to his range was so all over the place he had to be a boyfriend I, I, uh, he had to deal with being a boyfriend being a professional poker player was he really a boyfriend though uh, 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 uh. yeah he was nope. team yeah, Joe. He was a... hashtag team joe if you say that if you say so yes but anyway he had to be there but his what his character should i say what, what well, i'm sorry okay matt Dam damon had to play in a relationship he had to still 
aspire to have his dreams on what he wanted to do as a poker player while still having to deal with a friend who had a sickness at the same time. So they're asking him. He's vouching for people like he's he's obviously a respected poker player in the community. So he's putting his he's putting his career on the line. All these things are happening. And I'm watching Matt Damon have to deal with this. I mean, you all oh, you see him break down. It's only one time where he really breaks down in the in the film. And it's not when his girlfriend leaves, to your point. It's when he finds out that he's that worm has put him seven thousand dollars into Hawk. You know mm -hmm. what Hawk means? Nope. That means in debt. Okay. There you go. Ding. So basically, context clues. When I go with Matthew Damon, the reason why I'm saying it is, is because he was his character was asked to do more. Sometimes we're we're uh, we fall we fall guilty to what we're asked to do. And while I love, I must tell you, like I agree with you. I know I haven't really talked about it, but I think again, Edward Norton, Edward Norton is one of those. I don't like to consider him a best actor. I want to say he's different, and we don't have many actors like artists like him in the game. And mm -hmm. while for all his eccentricness behind uh, off scene and all that other stuff, which I may not, or which I actually don't agree with from what I've read in her, I've never worked with him, so I don't know. What I can say is though that I've loved him from a child when I, like I said, that raw feeling of watching him in Primal Fear that feeling of seeing him in American History X and not saying, oh, seeing straight through that and not saying, dang, Edward Norton's a racist. Like, nah, he's yeah. he has me into this role. But for me, again, Matt Damon was asked to do so much in this in this film. It's like from the narration to, to, to me, like you, you you were on screen for like 95 percent of the film. Like we don't we don't even meet Worm until 30 percent into the film. We've already yeah. went through so much. And we, he's out of it for the last 15, 20 percent. Hey, hey. Highway time, pal. <laughs> like I need a shirt that says like That's come what on, I'm saying. <laughs> So for me, it's going to be it's going to be uh, Matt Damon on this one. So I I guess we got to go to our infamous coin flip. And what I always notice is is that you flip the coin. No, you know what? Let's not leave this one up to a gamble. All right, I'm not I'm not I'm not going to encourage this lifestyle with you anymore. I just want to give you Matt Damon because I agree with everything you said. Edward Norton just kind of had to come in. Uh, I mean, he he, did he came in hot. He did great in his character, but his character required less, and yeah. it was easier to have fun with. Less Murphy, see what he did there. Uh, call me Worm, um, <laughs> but Matt Damon definitely. And like I said, my only problem with Matt Damon's performance was that it made me want to watch Good Will Hunting, which he was awesome in. So. Yeah, I, I think um, let's let's not. So, sorry, let's not gamble today. All right, so <laughs> let's go ahead and welcome Matthew Damon to the board. Let's get a round of applause there. Congratulations, Matt Damon. All right, ladies and gents, you know what time it is. It is time for somebody to get wet. You know why? Because it's it is time to work those jaws and tell us why they need a bigger boat. And what does that mean? We're going to now talk about our favorite lines from the films, our favorite quotes, the one that just made us just ah. go, David. If you want to die of cancer, you really need to learn to play cards. When a worm cut, when worm gets our cigarettes, that. Love it. Yeah, yeah. But that that speaks for itself. Um, we're out, we'll stick with Worm. When he gets in the car and Mike's telling him that he does not play poker anymore, he's looking at him. He's he's trying to figure it out and he just blurts off like, so, so, so you're like a student now? <laughs> like he was so disappointed that he was a, just a student. I was like, damn. Talk, who, friends like that who needs enemies? Damn. <laughs> I got another Worm. Um, when he's playing with the Russians, he says... I'm sure you're just talking about pierogies and snow and <laughs> Hey, you want to see this next 
car, no, no Sputnik at the table, no Russia, no speed. And that's Peruvians another term. Peruvians snow, because yeah, that's reason, all that they get in Russia. And the reason he's saying that um, is because of the fact that when you, you it's like, if we, if me, and, if me and someone else speaks, uh, you know, German, and then we start speaking, I, I can be telling you, hey, I have this card. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this, so it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's yeah, frowned yeah. upon. So that's why he's saying that. Uh, Oh, speaking of warm again, he, they gave him so many one lines, and this is one of my my, uh, my friend Mike's lines that he likes to use. I see a mark, I take him down. And to me, that was so visceral, so assassinating. He's like, look, bro, I'm not... Because there's a line in the film, he says, Amarillo, Amarillo Slim uh, famously said, you can you can shear a sheet many times, but skin it only once. And so when something like that happens, it lets you know, hey, you, you, you can't let a person just keep that. Take him down, man. It's a mark. Yeah. Um... My la- I, I brought up my last one earlier when he says, I know all the reasons I shouldn't be here, but sometimes reasons don't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike, when he goes with Worm to Grams. Um, so we'll just move past that one. The uh, last line that I have is uh, Kanish when he says, I don't play for victory, I play for money. That and That's the same line that we were talking about when he says, my kids eat, yeah, I owe rent, yeah. I pay alimony. And yeah. I, I got stones not to f- chase pipe dreams of the World Series of Poker. Mm-hmm. You punk. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I definitely remember that, and, and that's funny because I'm gonna end on Kanish as well. At the beginning of the film, even though he knows he should save Mike, he he looks at him. He's like, I understand. Mm-hmm. Fuck the power. And he just he just wait like he he knew and right and when he lost at thirty thousand, who was right out there for him in that trench coat and. That was the longest I told you so ever. He was yeah. like, "You want to?" You don't notice. He asked him if he wants to hit the J right there too. They don't show it. That's weed. He was like, "You want to hit?" He was like, mm-hmm. "Nah, man. You know why? Because nothing gets you higher than losing thirty thousand dollars. There's no drug out there for that." All right. And those are da da bigger boats. Let's move on to cast, crew, or you. Today, we are going to be speaking with Lisa Gorlitsky. Mm-hmm. Or, as you know her, the twirl girl. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to that interview. Check it out. All right, so our guest today has been acting for nearly three decades, appearing in films and series that you know and love. We know many of you 90s kids remember the show California Dreams. A lot of you same 90s kids probably remember a show called Silk Stockings. Uh, she's also in Sex in the City, Without a Trace, Law and Order, Search Party, and Friends from College. What do all these things have in common? Lisa Gorlitsky. Lisa also played Sherry in Rounders, which is why she's uh, with us today. Thank you so much for being here, Lisa. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you. So we definitely want to get into Rounders and um, the other projects you've been a part of. But before we do, um, just want to take a moment to... Uh, see how you're doing as an actress, a human being, a, a parent, um, uh, a wife, um, somebody, a, a New York City resident, most importantly, in in the midst of this whole COVID-19 pandemic. How are you holding up? Um, it's, you know, like everybody else, it's crazy. Um, it's the new normal, I guess. Um, I have pretty severe asthma, so I know what it's like not to breathe. So I have sort of a skosh of PTSD with that. So as a result, I have left the house, I don't know, probably um, I can count on my hands in the last uh, six months. I have left the house that many times. (laughs) So um, I went, right before things went kind of on lockdown in March, I went for a run. We live in Brooklyn, so I went for a run in Prospect Park and I just felt like people were getting too close and, you know, to each their own, but I just didn't feel comfortable. So my anxiety level just went and I was like, nope, I'm staying at home. So I've been at home. 
Um, and thank God for our backyard. And that's what I do. <laughs> you played Sherry in Rounders opposite Matt Damon, Edward Norton. Um, we understand this was a relatively closed set, so we aren't at liberty to go into too many details. But what can you tell us about your experience on that production? It was pretty amazing. Um, it was at the height of Matt Damon's sort of success. How do you so like them apples? It. <laughs> yeah. it was, he was exploding, you know? So I didn't know what it was going to be like. Um, John Dahl works in a really interesting way. He likes to rehearse, which is unusual. Not you, sort of, you just sort of usually go to the set. There's not really a rehearsal time. You, you go to, you know, hair and makeup, and then you come in there and you may run it once. They, they put you on your spots, your markers, and that's pretty much it. He wanted to rehearse first. And so um, before they even sent us to hair and makeup, they called us all to set. It was a closed set. It was freezing. It was a dead winter, freezing. And I was wearing, you. I mean, you know what that part was, right? So I, was, I came in in sweats, like sweats, sweats, baseball cap, no makeup, and I'm five feet tall, right? And I'm very tiny. And I'm standing next to John Dahl, and I see him look down at me, and I see him look back, and then he's like, did I cast a cheerleader? He was like, what? I, was like, I was like, no, no, I skank. I skank up really good. I'm telling you, I skank. So we, he, right away, he was just so relaxed and so calming. And um, one of my favorite things about that set was there was this one moment where they had like a technical difficulty. And it was a little complicated. So we had a little downtime that was unexpected. It ended up, ended up being a 16 hour day. It was really crazy. But um, this particular moment, I saw him sitting sort of by himself in his director's chair. And I was like, I'm gonna go over there. <laughs> so <laughs> I went over and I was like, hey, John. And, he's, and he sort of looked at me like pleasantly surprised. He's like, yeah. I said, I have a question for you. He goes, shoot. I said, why did you cast me in this role? And he just sort of cocked his head to the side. He goes, good question. He goes, strong choices. Never forget that. Strong choices. And since then, I have asked almost every director I have ever worked with, why did you cast me? And it is some iteration of those words. That's such a good thing for actors to do. I never even yeah. considered that. That's such a... Yeah. Because you can get so much valuable information from the other side of a, of a successful audition. It's, it's, a, it's a working relationship, and, and I, agree, I agree with you 100%. Um, let, me, let me ask you this here. Uh, a lot of times, and again, not just with rounders, anything, something you may have been in before, and as actors and actresses know, you can come out, and like you say, you can nail it, you can kill it, everything's going good. You're like, I can't wait to get to the movies. Oh, it's just going to be great. And then all of a sudden, you find out some of that, as they call it, the cutting room floor. What is that like to you know see that put in that work and then find out it's not there, but still be happy for your other coworkers? And then how do how do you deal with that? And can you speak to any of your scenes that maybe were cut without breaking any type of you know G fourteen classified rule? <laughs> right, that happens a lot. It really happens a lot. Um, it did happen on Rounders. I had some scenes with Michael Rispoli who played Grandma. Um, I love Michael. He is such a dear. I can't tell you what a sweetheart he is. Um, and I had a lot of scenes with him that were cut uh, for time. And I, it, when, we, when we were shooting them, I was like, oh, these are kind of superfluous. You know, it's kind of saying the same thing or like um, Matt Damon's character would come back uh, without Ed Norton's character. And then we were sort of in there and having a lot of conversation. But I, I was thinking in the back of my mind, well, I don't know how this really fits in, you know? So 
I, I was surprised that they were left out, but then I wasn't surprised afterwards, you know? So it, it happens more times than I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now these are your words, not mine, so don't sue me here. You, she, she says she can skank it up. Now, I did hear that, correct? Now, so I have to ask, what, were, were you one-take Tasha? The one-take Tasha is when you nail it the first time. How many times did you guys have to do the, you want to twirl? Like, how many times did you the twirl? See, how many times did you have to go through that? Well, okay, so because it was such a long day, and there, we did a lot, quite a few scenes in that day, and it was probably the 15th hour. It was really crazy. And they did, um, first did point of view from Matt Damon and Ed Norton. And so they were basically, they did their parts and then they turned back to do my point of view. And I just, I have to say to you that Matt Damon could not have been more amazing. I mean, he, a lot of times when you're that big of a star, you know, when they turn around, they have like stand-ins for you. They don't stay. They don't stay. Um, he made sure to stay because he wanted to give me his emotion and feedback from what I was doing. So it wasn't a ton of takes. It was also absolutely freezing and I was pretty much naked. <laughs> so he was so protective of me. I can't tell you like every time I would be shivering like this, just shivering. My fingers were blue. My lips were turning blue. And in between every take, he'd be like, Get her a sweater, get her a robe, somebody get her hand warmers, bring her some tea. He was so worried about me. It was the sweetest thing. So um, yeah, it wasn't tons of takes. It was probably like an hour for that particular scene, but it, it hurt because <laughs> it was really cold and I was really- Cold at all. You, and shout out to the makeup artist. I mean, I did not, I'm looking, I'm still, I'm waiting on her to show up. I don't know who you are, but that is not the same person. So shout out to the makeup artist. Goodness gracious. <laughs> I, I can't help but notice that all right, there's there's so there's two gentlemen in the scene that you, that you that shares the scene with you. Um, you bring up that Matt Damon was was excellent. Uh, sometimes there's implications in the things that you don't say. So Edward Norton, <laughs> uh, and I I, I want to preface this with saying I loved Edward Norton since uh, Primal Fear. Fear. You know, yes. I, I lost time to American <laughs> History X and yes. everything beyond. I mean, he is a fantastic actor in everything he's in, but it is fairly well known that he isn't the easiest to get along with on set. Um, in Birdman with his character, they even blurred that line of reality a little bit, and which makes me think that even he knows this and kind of has a sense of humor about it. Um, but what, what, is it, what, what was it the experience like working with Edward Norton? I would say he is a true talent. He is one of our finest, finest actors. And I will also say that he is a challenge. Um, that is probably all I will say. Um, mm -hmm. And who knows why, you know, people are people. We all have our issues, right? Um, okay. He was very professional. I will say that. Um, but but he, is, he is a challenge. I will say that. Oh, thank you. Thank okay, you. That's good enough thank there. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I don't want any, I don't want this to be a, a judgment on Edward Norton in any way. Still go watch his movies. I mean, he has like seven posters of Ed in his home. He still calls him Ed, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to ask about one thing. Of course, the uh, the director, John Dahl, has worked on so many projects that um, um I've seen that I love myself personally. You're talking about many episodes of Justified, mm -hmm. Californication, um, the, the Americans. We talked about Dexter, Homeland, Shameless. I mean, you name it now. I mean, but... 
I mean, Breaking Bad and uh and True Blood. Goodness graciousness, man. Oh, yeah. sucky, sucky stack ass. Um, and so much television. Like, so yeah. much of my life has been spent watching him without realizing it. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, uh, could you tell her what it was like working with him um, on, on the process, process and, th- and things like that? I mean, it's pretty much what I was saying before. He just, he was extremely accessible. Um, mm-hmm. He knows exactly what he wants. Um, he's also a director that sometimes you can be on set and a director gets so in your head, like they're not, they, it's, it's almost as if they don't know how to speak to an actor because it, it's, your heart is on your sleeve. And if you're told like you're doing it wrong, a lot of times you can sometimes feel really bad and get in your head about it and just have a really bad day. And he has a way of communicating with an actor that makes you feel good about yourself. So even if he wants you to do it a different way, like, you don't take it personally. You don't feel judged. You don't feel like you're doing a bad job. You feel like he trusts you to be able to do it and take the note. And so you trust yourself. So that's, it's a gift. It's a, it's a true gift. Not everybody has that. Like I say, it's rare. Just like you said with Edward Norton, one thing working with the, him was, was a challenge, but to, it's night and day from what I'm hearing with him. Like, cause it, most people expect when you're working with directors for it to be a challenge, but you're saying he's the exception, not the norm and for a good reason. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've worked with, you know, many people like that. I'm not saying everybody's like that, but, you know, when, right. when somebody is, I mean, I've, I've seen it happen to actors on set where I just, I think to myself, oh, I, I feel so bad for them because I know what's going on. Like, they're feeling like they're just stinking it up and the director is not communicating in a way that makes them feel confident to do their job. You know, they're communicating in a way that makes them feel really self-conscious and bad. So he's just one of those that's like very uplifting. That's what I took away from him. And his great gift of, you know, giving me the note of like strong choices and stuff. Like he really, it was very memorable for me. So Rounders is, it is drenched in talent. Um, like extremely talented actors between John Turturro, John Malkovich, and then you got uh, Matt Damon, Edward Norton at their, you know, at their prime, or actually like fresh off their prime from, you know, movies like Primal Fear and Good Will Hunting. Um, but there's, you know, so much, so many people meet Martin Landau. I mean, I can go on. There's so many people in this movie. Um, what, what was your fondest memory working on, on the production? I really just have to say how kind people were, how it was at the pinnacle of Matt Damon's career and John Dahl being who he was, that it was such an open feeling set and that you really felt like you were in good hands and taken care of. And it doesn't always happen, especially with that amount and caliber of talent that you just mentioned. Sometimes, you know, it can be a little bit like I had mentioned before, like you're, you're sort of infringing on that or you're not, you know, you're at a different level than they yeah. are. There was none of that feeling. There was no hierarchy feeling or like you weren't worthy or something like that. Everyone was on equal ground. So that's what I walked away with from that. that that's my favorite memory of it. Very cool. That is awesome. Yeah, that is, yes. <laughs> um, all right, so I, I know that uh, this is the last question we have, but before we get to that, I just want to say thank you again so much for being here. I, I you. saw your, um, your, your birthday speech on YouTube. I had no doubt oh. that this was going to be a fantastic interview after watching that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Um, so I know a lot of your projects are still in, in hush-hush territory where we can't talk about them, but can you tell us where, where people can find you so they could follow your work? I have to tell you that this pandemic has kind of been prolific for me. Um, I've been writing. I've been writing a ton. Um, 
for myself and for others. And it's, some of it is in development, so I can't talk about it. Um, but one of the things is um, a half an hour episodic. I've written 10 of them loosely based on my life and all the things that we just talked about of how many things that I juggle and that you can still follow your dreams and be a middle-aged woman, you know? And I think I'm hoping that that will resonate with people because really you should follow your dreams at any time. Um, and that's where you can find me. I have one, one little parting thing that I wanted to say earlier and I forgot to say it. Um, to other people that are aspiring and to kids that are just starting out, um, something that really, really helped me. And once you can get back into the, the rooms of the casting rooms, when eventually that'll happen. When I first got out of college, I volunteered to be a reader in audition rooms. And I cannot tell you how invaluable that was. When you're in one of these BFA programs, it's not really something you get to do. What you get to do is you're in a room and you see 500 people come in for the same role. And what it teaches you is, why does that person stand out? Why do they not? And I can't tell you how invaluable it was for me to learn that. And I actually did pass that on to SUNY Purchase and said, you guys really should start a program and offer like a summer program or apprentice or something like that. I'm sure they'd love it. So I want to say that. Other than that, you can find me on Instagram, Lisa Gorlitsky, on Facebook. And then I'm hoping one of these projects that I can't really talk about um, will be happening really soon and you will find me there. Well, Lisa, I wanted to personally say thank you. This has been a dream come true of mine because when we decided to do this show, this is my, one of my film picks. And I was like, man, if we can just get anybody, I don't care who we get. But I mean, when I found out that it was you, I was like, the twirl girl. He didn't even have yeah, to tell me. I said, yeah. twirl girl, twirl girl, twirl girl. <laughs> so you're twirl girl. But now that I've actually got to meet the woman, you're much more pleasurable. You're much more like this has been like one of the best interviews I think we're going to have this season. So, Lisa, thank Aww. you for not finding it robbery to give us some of your time, expertise and words of encouragement for the future generation of artists out there yeah you have so much knowledge and with all of your experience in the field so thank you very much for sharing some of that with us oh thank you guys so much now this was really wonderful and it gave me a break from politics so thank there you, you go. So yeah, we're, talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> we're not talking about that <laughs> not at all so lisa we look forward to you and more of your work and hopefully like i say you know we'll be doing good and we'll do good by you and thank you so much for everything all the best thank you very much so nice to virtually meet you all right there you go thank you <laughs> have a good one Bye, guys. Bye. And once again, we want to thank Lisa again for giving up your time. We're glad you're staying safe during these COVID era times that we do live in. And of course, guys, if you want to find Lisa, you can go back through here, hit subscribe, watch the interview again, and tell her how much you loved her. So thank you again, Lisa. Now, one of our segments we always talk about, because as we told you guys, we're going to be completely honest and transparent when we did this show, which was we're going to talk about things that we would have liked to improve with the film. And so this segment here, we're going to let Mr. David tell us what would he have liked to improve about the film. Okay. The ending. The, I wouldn't even call it an ending. I'd call it the epilogue. Because it could have easily ended when he leaves KGB's place. It could have even easily ended like shortly after that and just have him driving off. I love the fact that he, he, the, the whole, you could look at the whole movie like a, like a single poker game. He started out with, what was it, three large? Uh, three stacks of high society. Three stacks of high, three, three, $30,000. He yeah. started out with $30,000. Okay. Goes through all this shit, up and down, up and down, owing this person money, winning some, losing some. At the end, gets 
$30,000 back from KGB. Like, breaking perfectly even at the table. Like, the movie being like a mirror in itself, the beginning and the end. Why didn't they just leave it right there? Why didn't they leave it ominous? Why did he have to go to Vegas? Is this movie promoting or... I'm not even going to ask you that because you're going to say, yes, it is promoting poker gambling. But I just, I thought it would have been so much cooler if he would have just, like, he could have went to Vegas. But why do we have to know? Why couldn't he have just said goodbye to the girl, got in the cab, and drove off? If you're watching the movie and paying attention, you you know that he doesn't know when to walk away. Like, again, that, I don't know that, that. that the line that he says, he knows he shouldn't be here, but sometimes, you know, that doesn't matter. Um, he... He never walks away. He doesn't walk away with KGB at the end, which worked out in his favor. He doesn't walk away with KGB in the beginning, which nearly destroyed him. So He also doesn't walk away from Johnny Chan in Atlantic City. And he doesn't walk away from Worm. Worm had to go run away from him. He just was going back home, hit the highway. So we know this about him, that he doesn't walk away. So they could have just left it obscure they and and we could have made that decision on our own that he's going to vegas but it could have just been they could have tied it up so nicely if they would have just left it with breaking even and there it is because now i kind of want to see a sequel i want to know what happens to him to him in vegas isn't this the tea kettle calling the pot black you have offended you have directed multiple films want something wrapped up in a bow this is, I am, no, no. I, they wrapped it up in the wrong kind of bow. Oh, okay. they, ra- they overwrapped it. That's all okay. I'm saying. Okay. All right. If I could change one thing about this film, it's how David feels about it. Because at the end of the film here, the reason why it is okay with me what happens is because of the fact that, again, they leave it up to interpretation. His voiceover says, I'm going to Atlantic City. Does that does that grand prize have my name on it? I don't know, but I'm going to go find out. To me, it's, again, remove the poker aspect from it. What they're saying is, we've all been knocked down at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. we've all come back up we've all had the moment where we could have went left and went right but at the end of the film he's saying with all my experiences what i'm not going to do is not know so if you want to be an actor if you want to be a photographer if you want to be a skydiver school teacher whatever it is you want to be when you once you've been through everything the true testament of 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 who you are is moving forward after everything you've been through so them simply saying him him beating kgb and then oh it's over with no Life still goes on. He still, that's why I gave him yeah, best actor because he had to put everybody's else dreams and ambitions above his. The obviously, entire obviously, it's not life obvious. Go- so uh, you no, knew he was going uh, to Atlantic City no, after that. No, I didn't, but obviously, life goes on. Obviously, after the after a uh, girl and guy get together in a Disney film, it end it, the movie ends with their marriage, but they go on to become miserable. We know things like this, but the Disney film doesn't tell us they move on to be miserable. It ends with the with the wedding. I'm saying that KGB, him breaking even, that is a perfect. Why are you final... su- no? But why are you surprised? He says it early in the movie. He's he watched. He, he was watching VH VH tapes of the World Series of Poker. You didn't think he was going? He says it earlier in the movie. So why do they have to put it on the cap? Like KGB was a perfect final chapter. Him going to Vegas, that was like chapter one was it a gamble? of a new book. It's, it's a film. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I oh, appreciate okay. it. Okay, all right. I will give you that. Thank that you. It, is, it is poetic in the sense that it, it begins oh. on a gamble and ends on No, it's on not poetic. It's poetic. <laughs> and and it, it's like the fact that he he will never stop. You don't know that. Oh, I mean, no, we do know that because they said I'm the film of the time for a guy who doesn't play poker twice in one week. Mikey, oh, Petra, sweetheart, <laughs> Petra. Yeah. Call me. 
So you you don't have anything? To no, and, and like I said, if I had the only thing I wouldn't ch- what, what only thing I would change about the film is again would be the the talk of there being a second film, and that's directly related to that film because again I mentioned earlier I don't like sequels. I don't want to see another coming to America. I don't want to see New Jack City, Nino's Revenge, or he 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 really did make it. Ice T's, but like, I don't want to see all that stuff. Okay, Man, sometimes Rounders too. The story of Joe. Well, no, round is in. Why would you can't even call this round two? It's, it's like here we go again, around again, merry go round. It's like no man, leave it out. Uh, merry go round was tenant. That was ah, uh, we did do that. Yeah, Thank yeah. you so much. So those are what we could and would change for the film. Given last subject. Hold on, let's bring that in a little bit better. Three, two, and you know what? I really don't give a fuck what you think, but I'm gonna tell you how many <laughs> I don't give in our next segment. Yeah. I like that you wanted to take that back, do it again better, so that you could just open it up and don't give a f- what you think. That's what she said. Uh, f- given. How many f- do we give this f- film? Do we give it one, f- two, f- three, f- four, f- five, f- a whole fistful of f- How many f- How do you f- with this? This is, I, and take this loosely, no pun intended, this is my first fistful of f- man. I fully f- with this film Damn. on multiple levels like i have got to i mean it is like listen like i'll go to fisticuffs for this like i love this film man because again i told you it is not a poker film it is filmed with poker aspects about life and again is it the is it the best film ever hell no i'm not saying that i'm saying for me personally i give this a fistful of i mean i wanted a gaping hole of applause on this so you thought you're all in on the oh you finally got a reference it only took him 90 minutes through the show great job i give it three because it is a poker film okay <laughs> it is a great because film. you needed subtitles you want to give it three f-s. yeah yeah okay okay but i i will digress in just a second it's a great film it's got great acting intriguing plot like i said perfect pacing sets everything up nicely to knock it all down i like that it didn't dumb it down that is one of the things that i like about it because most movies today would be afraid of the fact that oh man a majority of the audiences out there don't know anything about poker they don't speak this language they're going to be lost it's going to be lost on them they made this movie for people that love poker at least as far as i can tell from somebody who doesn't love poker that's what i like about it at the same time it took away a lot of a lot of the like, I couldn't be in the moment with the characters the way I usually am with a movie. I had to wait for the characters' reaction to decide, oh, that was something good that they just did. And in the meantime, I can't really pay attention to what's going on because I'm too distracted by what I don't, by what I don't understand. Um, and there That's was fair. a lot that I didn't understand. That's fair. But, th- th- but before we go to our last uh, coming attractions, remember I told you, though, that's what makes this movie beautiful. That once you do learn, just if you ever learn how to play just for the intelligence of the game, when you go back and watch that movie, your mind's going to be blown even more. And that's when you can give it a fistful of f- Let me know when that happens. <laughs> okay. Uh, don't bet on it. Oh, I see what you did there. Hey, two in one segment. <laughs> All right. Um... Let's move on. Yes, coming attractions. What do we have coming next week? Hey, listen, I don't want some of my money. I won't have my money. You better pay me in full. Paid in motherfucker full. Is that Cameron talking to the executive producer? He got three bricks on you right now? (laughs) Yeah, for that $8,000 he got paid. That's another story for the next show. All right, so yes, next week, uh, next Thursday, we will be covering uh, paid in full. Uh, Be sure to subscribe if you have not subscribed. Hold on. Subscribe quick. Subscribe. If you're watching this right now and you look up and you see subscribe and not subscribed, 
what, what the f So yeah, please hit that, hit the bell so you get notified. We do a new episode every Thursday, highlights every Tuesday. We try to keep it as entertaining as possible. And uh, yeah, so do it, do it. Tell your friends about us. Do it. Share it. Uh, do it. Do it. Hey. <laughs> And that, I think that roundabouts, I think that rounds that up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, man. I, hey. I, let's fold. Hey, let's fold. Let's get the <laughs> f out of here. All right. Have Step a good week, everybody. Group. Superman's alive. Live, 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 live. Ow! That's the trailer.